Just a quick note before we get into the episode proper. Sorry for the long break. We had a bit of a hiatus for Christmas holidays, and then we had some technical issues with editing. We have continued to record. We have eight more episodes after this recorded already. It's just a matter of catching up on editing. So we should be getting back to a regular schedule. We have a lot of great stuff coming up, and thanks for your patience. Warlock 12 through 14. Oh, I was supposed to read something? You're good at this game. I thought you loved Warlock. I do. Uh, tattooed upon your very soul already. 12 through 15? No. <laughs> what? You don't think Star Thief is the most important encounter Warlock ever makes? <laughs> I love you both so very much. <laughs> the answer is no. Not in the least. <laughs> not even a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, so Star Fox. Yes. I, we, we should officially start with... Welcome to Cosmic Tales Episode 9, a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. I'm Jesse Butler, and I'm here with... Kit Paris. And Jeff Davis. This episode, we're doing a kind of special episode. We've decided Adam Warlock is enough of a Guardian that we're going to cover some of his appearances, even though Gamora or Drax are not in these three. is still a Guardian for, what, 24 issues of Abnett's run, something like that. So, he's a Guardian. Issue 12 of Warlock is a little uh, anticlimactic compared to, say, issue 11, where he kills himself <laughs> in the future. But uh, credits are layouts and story, Jim Starlin, finished art and coloring, Steve Leloa, lettering, Tom Orzakowski, and editing, Mara Wolfman. So we're reading Warlock 12, and it starts out talking about how it's the power of Warlock, but it's also a trollish tale. And I feel like they should have named this Pip's side blog or something. Yeah, I I didn't quite get why any of this <laughs> at all. Why any of it? Any. I mean... Well, let's start with the cover, which is a very... feels like a pulp 60s cover more than anything. You've got Warlock kind of flying in the background, but he's mostly irrelevant to this story. We have Pip the Troll, and who we will learn is Heater Delight, and uh, I forget what the guy with the knife is named. He's the big bad guy who... Uh, Which know. shows you just how important he is to this story. Well, you know, he's sort of important in that, he, yeah. yeah. He certainly has less recurrences than everyone else in the The first page, first of all, they've clearly done different styles of coloring now. It's a lot more distinct. But we've got what appears to be a completely science fiction-y situation mashed up with fantasy. Galaxy-looking things and lights everywhere and clearly aliens and one kind of looking Spock-like back over there. Except they're both drinking from steins. Yeah. Ornate steins, I may add. And they have faces on them. I didn't see that before. Yeah, and like little horse things for the handle, and there looks like a lady with boobs coming out of the top of Adam's. So. And I will say, Mama Alpha, her hair is starry. Yes, her hair looks like a galaxy. Which is cool. It's it's completely cut with like bangs, and there's actually the individual sections of the bangs, but the uh, hair itself looks like a galaxy. And that's not just style on the opening splash. So. Albeit a little less... In the later sections. So we open with Pip the Troll and Adam Warlock drinking at a bar. Pip is enjoying himself with his victory drinks, and Warlock is a bit morose. Shock and surprise. <laughs> Recaps the last several issues and says, you know what, I need some time to think. Walks outside and flies to space. Pip's enraged that Warlock has run off without him for some reason, despite him having a woman who is fawning all over him, all the food he can eat and all the drink he can have. He's still more interested in chasing after Warlock. Because 
he's hoping to settle the tab. Yeah, I don't think he's got all the food he can drink because Warlock didn't leave him money or anything. He also forgot that Mama was there, so he needs to think and talk fast. He proceeds to worm his way out of this and starting a bar brawl. It's a very Guardians thing to do, actually. Apparently, Mama Alpha is no stranger to punching a lot of people, including a brief shadow box where she is picking up and throwing the people who were moments ago her customers all around the bar. And then Pip sneaks behind the counter and guzzles down some port or something. I'm sure it's alien brandy or something. I don't know why a space cabaret bar has old western style swinging doors. And glass plate windows, but wanders outside to a space taxi that's sitting there for some reason. He opens the curtain yes. of the space taxi. When we introduce the space taxi, it's this cool back shot, this great perspective on it. Kind of get a little bit of depth of feel going on. You see the city in the background. This place seems rather huge. And then the next panel of him peeking his head in between the curtains is incredible. I had to go through this a couple of times to confirm to myself that that was still Pip. Because for some reason, I thought it was the person inside the taxi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's kind of shaded red, which we don't really see him ever. And then as soon as he sees inside that it's a beautiful, scantily clad woman surrounded by gold, booze, and expensive statues, all of a sudden he's back to flesh-colored and all the more interesting. <laughs> so I should note, it really seems like it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, it's, thing. it's just a little like rocket bottom type thing with a little robot guy in the front with a little windshield as to why he needs a windshield, I don't know. And then like a little caboose thing on the back that looks like photo booth sized and yet once he peeks his head in there's like ornate gold walls and an entire four poster bed and endless pillows and statues and it looks like there's an acrobat's swing bar thing? Maybe yeah. Probiscus is a Time Lord. So we meet Heater Delight, who is a blue concubine of some sort. And in the cosmic world, if they're blue, they're a concubine. Or is that or wait. Because Nebula is not a concubine. <laughs> I was going to say, we also, after he notices everything inside, realizes that this is a pleasure cruiser, one of those fantasy mobiles that all degenerates dream of, but only the rich ones ever get a crack at. And she invites him for a little ride, and we have um, a really badly covered up innuendo. Anyway, so uh, moving on. Suddenly we're inside the pleasure cruiser, and again, Time Lord technology? Well, I think... I think what happens is, after he hops in for the ride, she takes him back to her house. Because uh, no. he says, nice place you got here, bet your rent's outrageous. See, I took that to be that, that that was still in her cruiser. I thought so as well, because she talks about being trapped to the pleasure cruiser. She's a prisoner of the pleasure cruiser, I think she says. But that's later. Anyway. Well, we do see her manacles and stuff here. And her lion tail, which she has for some reason. But no, he definitely has the same background that like, says it was, it's much bigger than this inside, is that all those stuff we saw in the background is... Yeah, there's still the swing. Oh, yeah. And I guess the statue is still there in the four-poster yeah. bed. So, no, it is really much bigger on the inside. So she's chained to this pleasure cruiser, which apparently is also TARDIS. Um. And she says that she's looking for a true champion. Aren't we all, honey? Um, a doer <laughs> we, of deeds, yes. Yes. I don't know. What she say? Something about a man of his stature. It's a really mean, like, short joke. But a man of your stature, surely. Are all trolls born as powerful as yourself? And then we get to learn how Pip wound up being a troll. Which is kind of amazing. Because trolls aren't born. They're made. A Apparently. And so we discover that Pip was once a human. He was a prince of, I believe this is Laxadaisia. Which... That seems like lazy name making. Yeah. Oh. oh, 
Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Oh, 260th in line for the throne of his world, meaning he had 259 other siblings. Or a complicated chart. I mean, it doesn't have to be siblings. But there are 259 people in front of him, and that's a long way. 259 family members, I guess. Refers to himself as a superior product of selective inbreeding. Sorry. Making a case for himself here. Nope. Classic Pip. I never really got Pip. And after reading this issue, I still don't get Pip. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone besides maybe Jim Starlin gets Pip. We learn that he stumbles across Camp of Trolls and proceeds to party to the most hardy and then wakes up the next day hungover and a troll. And green. And that's it. That's probably the most boring origin story? I mean, there's no crazy magic curses or strange radioactive technology. It's just, I got drunk with a bunch of weirdos and got turned into a weirdo. It's very reminiscent of the old fables. Reminds me of Rip Van Winkle a little bit. Yeah, it, it very much has a fairy tale kind of feel to it. Yeah. He went drinking with the fairies and was lost to the human world. It says, later I was kicked out of the lackadaisian court for decadence, and here I stand. What Even an amazing story! And amazingly enough, he sounds like just the type of man she needs for her job. But it's nothing very difficult, just a matter of cutting wire. The wire that holds her prisoner to this pleasure cruiser. <laughs> Sorry. Dramatic music sting. Uh, so here we break from the action to find out that Adam Warlock is having ennui on asteroids in space. And then we have an entire page spread of, Hi, I'm Adam Warlock, Calvin Klein model, dealing with deep, deep anguish. I, I liked this page. It's nice to look at. It, it is. It's just <laughs> poses are so cheesy. I mean, you've got the knee with the one up and the thinker pose kind of thing, and then the down on both knees begging thing, and then the I'm reclining on a beach, and then the hey girl, what are you up to? All the while talking about how his brain is broken. And he is lost. And the stars are disappearing? Wait, what? No. Why, yep. Wait, why are we back at Pip? What's going on? No, wait, the stars are disappearing. <laughs> the stars are disappearing, but now we're back to Pip talking about cutting this connector wire thing. Because she is a slave to Probiscus. And it's not Probiscus all one word. It's Pro-Biscus. She does promise him a reward of unbelievable pleasure. Which, as we've learned from all fairy tales, just means it's pleasure that you receive and you're like, wait a minute, I don't believe that happened. Pretty much. And then, so, of course, he's into it. Well, of course. It's, it's Pip the Troll. So he doesn't have wire cutters, so they stop off at an electronic shop so he can steal them in a... <laughs> in a bizarre MacGyver-esque heist. Uh, apparently, there's still Radio Shacks in uh, Apparently. Well, and not only that, but they only have flyers in this guy's pocket, so it's not like you can just find a drawer and pull out some wire cutters. And furthermore, it's not just, I'll distract him and pickpocket him. Or it's not even just pickpocketing him, which he's right there. The guy clearly is unaware of him, and he can't just take the flyers and pull them out of the guy's pocket. No, he has to unplug a lamp, wire it up to the guy's metal stool, and then plug it into the outlet so the guy gets an electric shock and immediately starts jumping around like crazy. Then they fall out of the pocket, and then he picks them up, thanks him for them, sarcastically, mind you. Thanks him for them and runs out the door. Not really what I'd expect out of somebody who's actively thinking about stealing things. It reminds me of something the modern Rocket Raccoon would do. It is true. Once we have Rocket, we do not need Pip. And somehow, when Rocket does it, it's funnier. (laughs) Well, it's because raccoons are adorable and Pip is not. Well, it's clear he's trying to be, but the roguish thing doesn't play well for him. He just ends up looking like a troll. Then he proceeds to cut the wire, after which she informs him, oh, did I forget to tell you about the alarm. And we meet Proboscis. Who knows because he knows how to teleport. And he is Proboscis the Procurer, who is dressed in a unitard with 
a boutonniere. It's a very big carnation. Yeah, I don't think we get much of proboscis in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do like, so they start a little fight. Pip throws some sand in his eye or a rock. Or, uh, I like the final panel on that, that page where it's got, Fool, do you think you can escape me while I possess these powerful rings of vice? And it's just like a close-up of his fist and uh, some very ornate rings. This looks very Mandarin to me. You know, I've got rings and they fire out energy blasts and do wacky stuff. Also, rings of vice, and all we see them do is shoot energy blasts. But they're, you know, within them resides the force to decimate planets. Because so. vice does that. Apparently. I, I agree, though. It does remind me of the Mandarin. Also, the hair going on and the sort of orientalish look to the face. I say orientalish only in the sense that it's pretty much what they did kind of for this era for oriental-looking guys. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they continue fighting. Oh, I guess is uh within the rise of force to decimate planet and uh, French fry trolls. He's blasting at Pip the troll. We see a worried Peter Delight and, and a mysterious man in the shadows. Mysterious man who no one will recognize from his outline. It's not like he's got distinctive hair. He also has Morticia Adams syndrome, where only his eyes have light. The rest of him is in shadow. Well, it's important to know that he has eyes. Yes, I I have no idea who that could possibly be. Pip hits him in the knee with a stick which does nothing. <laughs> so he runs away and climbs up to knock some rocks down on top of him and finally defeat. Well, yes, but here the absurdity really kicks into full gear with he's got an entire cliffside that he has climbed and a pile of rocks, which is quite clearly on a very narrow base. And he pushes on the pile of rocks and the cliff collapses. Wow. Rocks does not move until the cliff has already started collapsing. I was going to say clearly because Heater drove them over to this secluded area and there's this mysterious figure here who you see standing next to this column of precariously piled rocks. So clearly he's the one who piled them up in preparation as a you know, tool for Pip, right? I see. Way too much of this. I love that he he says that the old but still reliable cliche number 137. Is there a list out there? Can we find this? I don't believe it. I'm still alive. Jumping Jakumbas. Leaping leprosy. He certainly has some interesting exclamations. So now so, having defeated Proboscis, she gives him his reward. Her ride, because she's officially out of the vice business. You get a pleasure cruiser. Woo. He's like, that's not exactly the reward I had in mind when I started the job. And then the mysterious figure says, really? Just what did you have in mind? We turn the final page to see that it is Eros, who, oddly enough, has, you know, a little yellow symbol on his chest, which kind of, I guess, is his Star Fox symbol. Not named Star Fox for quite a while from now. I'm still going to call him Star Fox. Well, that's fair, but... No, I just love his hair. Little points on it's- the beautiful. He saw what Wolverine was doing, and he took it to the next level. It works. And his eyebrows are gorgeous. They're on point. Ah, uh, so yes. So that's Pip. That's how Pip became Pip, and that's how Pip got a pleasure cruiser. So Heater Delight ran off with Star Fox. Which I'm sure will be a long-lasting romance, which will be epically chronicled throughout all of Star Fox's existence. Absolutely. Can say Heater Delight gets more appearances than Star Fox. I mean, not Star Fox, um, Star Thief. Star Fox has way more appearances than both. So uh, now we're on to 13? Now we're on to 13, which has Adam Warlock on the cover fighting some sort of rock monster. He's trapped on this mad planet, and there's no way for him to escape alive. 
For some magical reason, we find ourselves on mundane Earth, looking at a Wildwood Hospital building. I wonder what could be inside. So this issue is Here Dwells the Star Thief, story and laid out Jim Starlin, finished art, Steve Leloa, letterer Tim Orzakowski, colorist Petra G, editor Marvelman. A lot of detail on this tree outside the hospital in this initial page. As well as the benevolent wave of Warlock above the hospital. Before we get to Warlock, there's some scenes in this hospital where we talk about some guy who's been in a coma forever. They've got a private nurse that watches over him. The details about why he's in a coma, the aspects of this coma, how he has a unique brain disorder where the connections between his brain and nerves that are required to produce what they call the five senses do not exist. So he's a brain sitting in a skull. That's a very rare disorder. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, Adam Warlock is having ennui in space still, sitting on a rock, and he goes, wait, all these stars are vanishing. What's going on? And flies over to a nearby planet that has been frozen solid. I gotta say, the Star Thief is kind of like done more damage already to the Marvel Universe than Thanos has. Yes, he's already stolen many stars. And he's forced Adam Warlock to use his ultra perception. Do you really need ultra perception to see that the stars are no longer blinking in the sky? No, he needs his ultra perception to be able to see through his internal conflict and ennui to be able to realize, no, this is actually happening. This is not just me going insane again. Oh, he needs to pull his head out of his... That's what ultra perception really means. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, frozen graveyard. It's a nicely drawn frozen graveyard. I love that, not to skip ahead, but on the next page, in the center panel, it's just Warlock yelling, Bio Ryan! There's not much left on the last page, so sure, we can skip to this one, where he's flying around and, you know, seeing stuff. Apparently he's able to use his gem to find out that these unbelievable occurrences come from the mind of a single Earthman. It's cool that his soul gem can send out an exploratory beam, kind of like on Star Trek. It's a Class 5 probe. The Infinity Gems are pretty potent. They are, you know, with the whole potential to turn people into gods. So, yes, here we get Chapter 2 of the Bizarre brain of Barry Bauman. I have to say, the 70s obsession with alliteration, it actually kind of works this time. It does. So, yes, basically being disconnected from his own senses, he's developed his own telepathy until he can project himself. He has a nurse who watches over him. Uh, well, apparently he's possessed the nurse to explore life. I do have to point out endlessly retreaded trope of he explored the entire contents of his mind rather than the mere 10% that most humans take advantage of. And by doing so, his mind ended up being thousands of times more powerful than any puny human brain. Yeah, well, it was 76. Anyways, sorry. No, it's it's true. It's, I shouldn't go into science, but it's like only 10% of your neurons are firing at once. Well, it turns out they don't need to be all firing at once. That doesn't mean you don't use all of them. Exactly. Well, yeah, because it's all sectionalized up. But anyways, once he does this, he's able to send out extraordinary waves of force. And apparently this is some kind of like telepathic echolocation, which is how he figures out that there's the male nurse, which is how he controls the male nurse to go look at things and do things so that he can experience the world. And he uses him to read which I thought was pretty cool. So he could learn the basis of all human knowledge, which, despite the fact that he could, you know, internalize so much that he could make his mind super ultra-powerful, he didn't know anything? How did he become literate? He is a pure being of complete intellect. He learned from reading the other guy's mind. He could certainly 
I don't know. It's pretty fuzzy. He can affect emotions. He causes some 62-car pileup, creates an earthquake, destroyed a certain large city in Nevada. I think the hint there is like Las Vegas or something. This book has like huge effects on Earth that are never talked about in any other Marvel comics, I'm pretty sure. The weird situation. He's controlling other people's emotions. He's controlling somebody's mind almost completely. He's causing pileups. He's destroying cities with earthquakes. And now he's justifying this all with people spend billions of dollars to kill each other, yet would not spend the measly million or so it would cost to cure me. Except, if he was born this way, he's had 24 some odd years of 24 hour medical care from his father who is very wealthy, that's probably been more than a million dollars worth of care. I don't know, might have been cheaper back then. But still, yes, presumably they've spent quite a lot of money on helping him. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to destroy the entire universe. Not Earth, but I'm going to wink out the stars of the universe. That's like, he wants revenge on the world, but I guess he's got to do it on all the other worlds first, because if he just destroys Earth, he would die. So he's got to work his way out in or something. He also doesn't want the punishment to be too quick. Right. So he is slowly putting out planets and exterminating life that he's never even met, who's had no impact on him. But anyway, oh, we do get some great, you know, starry cosmic panels and scenes. Having read this now for the second time, I boggle even further that his entire revenge plan is, in order to drive the human race into blind panic and unimaginable suffering, he's going to destroy all stars in the world. Or sorry, transport them into the endless dimension of his omnipotent brain, so he's sucking stars into himself. He's so humanocentric that he's going to obliterate all life elsewhere in the universe just to scare human beings. Maybe it's just this galaxy? Well, I suppose. It's visible stars in this case, so it would just be this galaxy. It says, to those stars within sight of Earth. Still a lot of stuff. Still a lot of stuff. Oh, yes, and then extinguish the sun. So I do like a warlock flying along in space. Even at the parsec-consuming rate I'm traveling, it will take me weeks to reach Sol. He names his unknown villain as the Star Thief. I don't think he names it. For this Star Thief is wiping uh, out stars in the Astley Raid. Okay, I guess he does. Because down at the bottom, the Star Thief projects to him and says, I am he whom you seek. I am the entity you have chosen to call the Star Thief. And it's just kind of these yellow glowing eyes, which reminds me a lot of actually when uh, Psylocke uses her powers. She has a purple butterfly effect, but I'm pretty sure that's at least a decade away. Well, actually, I'm not sure. Also, a decade or so before she joins the X-Men, but she does have origins in Captain Britain. Also, you've got somebody who's winking out the stars within sight of Earth. There are a bunch of superheroes on Earth who would probably notice this as well. Reed Richards, at the very least. Yet the only one he's concerned about is Warlock. Well, because Warlock's the only one cosmic has Captain Marvel's cosmic awareness is apparently, I don't know, he's too busy riding a donkey. Yeah, flying a donkey through space does tend to take up a lot of your concentration. It's probably because Warlock was trying to find him with the soul gem, and so he felt threatened by what he then calls the Jade Succubus. A lot of people referring to it that way. Yeah, it's cool. I kind of want that to be my stripper name. Don't put that in the actual podcast, please. (laughs) What? And for more comic-y goodness, go to jadesuccubus.com and send your your cam girl donations to... (laughs) Right. Anyway. Interesting enough, Psylocke's first appearance will be in December 1976, although it'll be a long time before she becomes Psylocke. She'll just be Captain Britain's little sister. So here we have, of course, the I'm a villain, but having looked into your mind, Adam Warlock, which at this point has got to be a complete and utter mess, we're similar. They're both perverted creations of Earthmen who fear them and would destroy them if they could. Of course, Earthmen are too weak and small to actually destroy them. 
But they would yeah, if they could. Totally. Well, he wants to punish them. Warlock wants to protect them. It's like Why? two sides of the coin. It's like he keeps running into other aspects of the mages. He's always got to have somebody who's wanting to destroy all life in the universe. Pretty much. That's what Warlock does, other than dying. Um. <laughs> and he gives a little monologue, which is great. Talks about how Star Thief is obviously anti-life and does not treasure the one thing that can never be replaced. Therefore, they must fight, which is a pity. Uh-huh. And forces the Star Thief to use his amazing eyeballs of power to conjure up large rock monsters that will attack Adam Warlock. That's so odd. He animates the rocks of the planet that Warlock is standing on in order to assassinate. It's, it's, why? Why didn't he just do that earlier? Because he's toying with them. Because otherwise, how would he have these several pages of, you know, fight scene? Which is great. And uh-huh. apparently, Warlock is outmatched. Not totally outmatched. I mean, he, in the end, picks one up and throws it against the other one. Yeah, but he also uses his soul gem, the awesome power of his soul gem, which apparently can steal souls, send out class 5 probes, and blow shit up. And make him teleport. And make him teleport. Yeah, that's the real trick, is he, like, this teleports but leaves his cape behind. Again, we've got the total cliche of, haha, you have killed him. Now just step off of his cape so that I can confirm, oh my god, he's gone! Watch out! He's right behind us! Aren't you an omnipotent set of eyes in the sky? How did you not see him? He's not omnipotent. He just has vast senses. But he's got to concentrate. I do rather like the smirking, eye-rolly look to the Star Thief's eyes in the first of the sub-panels after Warlock throws one of the golems into each other. The eyes are kind of got that very impressive. There's a lot of sass. There's some definite sass there. I do like, how did you escape my giant without me detecting you? I am a true warlock. I am the wind earth, fire, and water. That is the only explanation I can give. Star Thief mishears him, obviously, because he says that he accepts Warlock's claim to be one with the four elements. That's that's not what Warlock said. Warlock said he is. Well, and then we've got the follow-up of, you're my enemy, an enemy that must be eliminated. Warlock dives away from the beam, and then the Star Thief says, I allowed you to avoid that mind blast, because your multi-level makeup fascinates me. You see, I have decided not to destroy you immediately. Rather, I shall challenge you to a mighty test. You've fallen victim to one of the Classic blunders, Warlock. A land war with Asia. And fighting giant eyes in space. Didn't work out well with Thanos, either. No. Starlet really likes his giant eyes in space, though. Then we have a final page that kind of recaps that people on Earth have noticed... And the Daily Bugle publishes Stars Vanished by the Hundred. President Forrest says something is going on. And it shows scenes of rioting and suicide. So you'd think that if this you know, was such a huge event that people were panicking and that uh, it might have had effect on the rest of the Marvel characters. You know, remember when Aunt May almost got killed in the riot of 76? What I find ultra interesting here is that if stars were to vanish in the modern day, not a lot of people would really notice. Yet yeah. here in 76, it's enough to drive the human race to suicide, mass murder, rioting. That's a sad state of affairs. Where's Thor? Man, where are you, dude? Where's, where's anybody? They're busy. I guess they're dealing with the riots or something. They're dealing with all the the actual mundane stuff. Well, and they don't have the cosmic awareness like Warlock, who's off on some other planet right now. Riding a donkey. Riding a donkey. That's next episode. (laughs) 
And then we and have then, the final splash page of Warlock looking determined, flying forward with the universe behind him. Issue 14, Homecoming, Story and Layout, Jim Starlin, Finished Art and Coloring, Steve Lealoha, Lettering, Tom Orzakowski, Editor, Barb Wolfman. So I think these are all the same team. Covers kind of nice. It's got some sort of winged demons attacking him this time. Star thief eyes in the background. Warlock, all action posy. Beam coming out of his mind. Jim. Soul Jim. Soul Jim. Yes, that's right. So what else? Testimony chip. Not yet. Yeah, or we'll have it. Yeah, and this is apparently a continuation of the incredibly absurd challenge, which is Adam Warlock needs to race back to Earth to try to stop the Star Thief, and the Star Thief promises he will only use corporeal creations to hold him back. So these corporeal creations apparently involve weird fairy things and rock golems. They're definitely some sort of weird troll gargoyle thing. But they have no souls, so his soul gem has no hold on them. And they know his... Well, they speak. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. They can say die warlock. And he does the teleporting thing again, because, you know, they're not expecting that yet. Well, it worked last time. And apparently worked again. And so Star Thief shows up after he manages to defeat these hordes and hordes of flying things, which he was having trouble with one page back. Yeah, so after defeating them, he convinces Star Thief to give him a whole backstory recap, so we, anybody who just picked this up will know what happened last issue. Yeah. Exactly. Including punching a bunch of rock people. Including punching a bunch of rock people and panic from stars disappearing. Warlock does some quick math, does some back-in-the-napkin calculations, realizes that even traveling at faster than light speed, he cannot reach Earth in time. But he's got to try. No matter what. So then space shark. Yes. Space shark. Because they're not water elementals, not, you know, ice or anything like that that might make some semblance of sense. No. Giant space shark. Because he's he's going thematic for his conflicts versus the warlock. Because we had the rock golems to start with, and we had the flying people for air, so now mm-hmm. we have a shark for water. That's true. Yeah, when I think about attacking people with water, sharks are definitely not the first thing I think of. Well, and particularly not in space, I would think. I mean, the space shark thing is kind of... Flarking. Really. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it looks pretty flarking. It just doesn't make any... Flarking. Sense. He calls it a near-perfect killing machine. It would only be perfect if it had... Flarking. Laser beams on its... Flarking. Head. I mean, this is the guy who faced a wide variety of other villains who actually had the capacity to destroy major sections of the world or unmake life itself. And yet this shark flying in space, is a near-perfect killing machine. And we discover that Warlock can't use his power when he's free-floating? What? Why not? If you can fly... Leverage or something. So he manages to uh, use a dogfighting trick of dodging in front of a comet and letting the shark hit the comet. And yet it doesn't work. So before it was, I need something to stand on. Okay, that didn't work. I need to fly away! Run! And then a hundred miles across comet, smashing the shark, manages to defeat it, and apparently leaves Warlock helpless and defenseless for the Star Thief. <laughs> Except it's another clever ruse. Now we get to the fire being. Which at least is a being of fire. By Zor, the heat. They gave him all kinds of vocab this time. I like it. So yes, this time we actually have some sort of elemental golem for him to fight rather than flying things or sharks. And uh, it's doing okay. It's smacking him around until apparently Warlock deduces the fact that much like a zombie, you go for the head and proceeds to smash it with a rock. It's a big rock. And somehow the Star Thief was actually in that this time? Because he refers to himself. And Warlock also actually managed to steal a fragment of his soul. What I got was the sense that whenever Star Thief is sending these things after him, he's kind of in them, controlling them. Because he's not seen in the sky when these beings are attacking Warlock. Yes, he's sort of animating them, the piece of himself. And this, of course, 
all through this appears to be just confirming the fact that he's a warlock. And he catches the Star Thief monologuing and uses that time to speed off towards Earth. So the Star Thief proceeds to talk about how he's awesome and powerful and he's going to destroy Adam Warlock. And so prepare to be, what? Again, he's gone! He's flown off somewhere. And Warlock really only has seconds left before Star Thief stops talking and looks around him. And then he comes up with the absolutely brilliant idea of flying into a black hole. Well, as you know, they're like wormholes, but black. Mm, That's racist. What? (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm getting is that the Soul Gem has combined the minds of so many geniuses in his head that he knows exactly what to expect, and that will help him through this dangerous mission of jumping into a black hole. Well, on the next page, he says it is believed that these black holes might be space warps, places where the universe folds and meets, though none who have attempted to prove this have ever been heard from again. I hope I'll not end up sharing their fate. So, yeah, he's going to try this untested scientific theory. In order to run away from eyes in the sky. And to get to Earth faster, presumably. Which, if the stars around Earth are what are disappearing, and he hasn't yet figured out who, never mind, that doesn't make sense. Cosmic <laughs> awareness. Right. And ultra senses. Ultra senses. His ultra senses are tingling. And interestingly enough, apparently this trip through Black Hole puts him into hyperspace. And that is the one area where the Star Thief cannot reach him. And he's actually back at his body, bemoaning the fact that he just didn't kill Warlock straight out, but had to mess around with him for a while. It's like, damn it. I should have killed him when I had the chance. Why did I show off? So we get a flashback to Earth, where Star Thief is deciding to make plans to defend the Earth against Adam Warlock. And he gets so distracted that he uh, releases control of his nurse. Who doesn't look like he woke up on the right side of the bed. Well, it's kind of rough being, uh, you know, mind-ridden for a while. (laughs) And Warlock is back in the Milky Way. Mm, Milky Way. Yes, however... As we flip to the next awesome splash page, turns out that he has become gigantic. Keeps flying past Earth, and then flying past Earth again. How is that possible? He is now huge. And here we get to yet another dubious scientific theory. How is this possible? Have I lost touch with reality? So I think pops up to say, no, Warlock. Reality is still within your grasp. Have you never heard of the expanding universe theory? By going far away from Earth, you expanded faster than Earth's expanding. And thus, when he came back here, he's more expanded. It, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so his yeah. atoms are further apart because he was further out in space? Yeah. But he yeah. didn't come back because he went through hyperspace. Something like that. Okay. Ish. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. But conveniently, he's there, you know, talking to Star Thief, which distracts Star Thief enough that the nurse can shoot the Star Thief in the head. After bragging about having one. And then the nurse gets kidnapped because, I mean, he just shot a poor kid in the head. I don't think that's kidnapped as much as, like, arrested and sent to the mental institute. I'm but, so sorry. Did I say kidnapped? <laughs> I am a very tired girl tonight. Well, and it for the It's such a weird anticlimactic ending. Mm -hmm. Because, first of all, you've got Adam Warlock stuck here, unable to do anything, and then all of a sudden he goes, Wait, I have some disturbing news for you, Star Thief. You've won nothing, because I just realized that you lost. And he, through cosmic awareness, knows exactly what happened on Earth? I guess so. And then we have another moment of self-pity on Ennui, because he's lost his home. Yep. Oh, no. So I must admit, when I first read through this, I was like, man, there's this whole battle with Warlock and Star Thief, and none of it matters because the nurse at home is the one who does it. Mm-hmm. But I guess it is that Warlock is such a 
distraction that he releases his control, which might not have happened had Warlock not been involved. But it is kind of a light touch for Warlock. Yes. It is. And then Warlock's sudden realization that, you know, he's lost control of this nurse that he's never met, never seen, and the nurse somehow has a gun, much less, eh, you know, in a hospital, when he's been <laughs> secluded in this room pretty much constantly. But, yeah, it was uh, very anticlimactic, because he shoots the guy, and the Star Thief vanishes. And the stars return once the Star Thief vanishes. Well, because he was hiding them in his brain. So once his yes. brain no longer exists... Too bad all those species still already froze to death. Actually, previously, he said that the systems he'd visited that were frozen had the technology to resuscitate themselves if their stars came back. Oh, okay. Well, so that's lucky. it's all convenient. <laughs> that, that was the detail that I skipped over, I guess. I think that uh, genocide wasn't in the Cosmic Code yet. Uh, I mean, the comics code. We've got to wait till I don't know, 1980 before they can kill a whole planet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. When does the Phoenix Saga happen? Any other thoughts on these three issues? Star Thief and... And Pip's Origin? I actually and... enjoyed Pip's Origin as a bit of a, a moment of lightness before we went into all the Warlock and Pity and Star Thief stuff. Yeah, I think it was definitely a needed kind of, you know, lull between, because if you went straight from defeating Magus into something like Star Thief, that would kind of, I don't know, just feel a little too go, go, go. Yeah, you might actually start to pity Warlock a little bit. So yeah, getting to see Pip and Eros and Heater Delight. (laughs) Ooh, Star Fox, I'm so excited. And yeah, it'll be really cool to see what happens after this and... Warlock meeting back up with Gamora and doing some some Guardian things. Yeah, so it looks like next episode we'll be back with some Drax and Captain Marvel action, all re-recorded. Woo, good Drax! Talk to you all later. Alrighty. Have a good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cosmic Tales. If you'd like to leave feedback, you can email guardians at cosmictales.com. Find us on Twitter at Cosmic Tales or leave a review on iTunes. Join us next episode where Drax Destroyer punches asteroids in space.